A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I've always talked about my weight and my stand-up, but in the past, after shows, if I ran into audience members, they'd be like, Jim, you're not that fat. You're not that fat. But now after shows, people are like, good show. Hello, and welcome to The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. My guest this week is the one and only Jim Gaffigan. I've been a fan of his for as long as I can remember. Uh, Before we get to Jim, I want to remind everyone to please leave a rating and review on this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Uh, You can let us know who your favorite guest has been so far. Uh, Is there anyone that you really want to see on the show? And just any other comments or questions you might have. So this past uh, weekend... Jim Gaffigan released his seventh hour-long special, Quality Time, on Amazon. It's that streaming service's first big play into the the stand-up world and an attempt to challenge Netflix's dominance, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Uh, We talked about Jim's decision to work with Amazon, how he got started in comedy, and he also weighed in a bit on Aziz Ansari's comeback and why it might not be so easy for Louis C.K. to do the same. Keep listening to our interview for a pretty incredible story towards the end about the time he appeared on Fox News with Bill O'Reilly. So let's get to it. This is me and Jim Gaffigan. Are you just are you just out in L.A. doing press stuff, or what press are you? Press for uh, them that follow. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, back to uh, doing shows. Yeah. I love it. Are you doing stand-up? Yeah. While you're out here? Um, I don't know. I don't know how tired I'm going to be. Yeah. How long are you out here for? Well, I got in. I landed at like 10. Oh, today? Yeah. Oh, wow. Straight here. They said you were going to be here, so I was like, I just <laughs> got on a plane. I was in mid-meal, yeah. and I just ran to the airport. There was like, we can get a car, and I'm like, no, I want to run. Yeah, I need and to I run. I ran to the airport, and I, got, I was like, what's the next plane? And they're like, 13 hours, and I was like, that's inconvenient. <laughs> so then I hung out for 13 hours, and then I got on the plane, and I landed, and I ran from LAX here. That's a good long way. It's just insane. Like, you should have flown into Burbank, because we're in Burbank right now. That would have been more convenient. Yeah. But then you wouldn't have had such a long run and wouldn't you know, have got as much exercise. Workout. That's how I, you know, I stay buff. Yeah. But what, uh, Burbank, <laughs> also, I travel a lot. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to, like, one of those tiny planes. I don't want one no, of those planes. No, no. I want a fancy plane. Yeah. I was at the airport and someone uh, stopped me and they're like, oh, my son's a big fan of yours. And we saw uh, DJ Khaled. Or Khalid is it Cal- D- DJ Khaled? DJ Khaled was here too, and I was like, I was like, did you say he, we the best music? Is, <laughs> <laughs> is that's just what he does in his songs? Yeah, he's he just like, says. We, well, he yeah. produces. He it, says right? his name a lot. That yeah, he but just he's like the producer. But so he's like, you'll sing, then I'll say my name, and then I'll say it again. Yeah, I should probably say it at the end. And it kind of interrupts the whole song it from does. my perspective when he when he does that. Like yeah. it's like really he's producing a nice song and then he has to go shouting his name in the middle and It all started with Moby. Moby started it when he was dating uh, Natalie Portman. Oh yeah. That's when it started. Very controversial. That was very controversial. Canceling the book trip. Yeah. Uh, Moby's in trouble. Moby. He's laying low. He's laying low. He's going to disappear. Was anyone he, I think he's been laying low for quite a while as far yeah. as I knew. Did a huge album, did 
disappeared. Yeah, like 20 years ago. By the way, I, one of my, I guess I can tell this story. Yeah. I used to do commercials for Rolling Rock. Mm -hmm. Not that you remember, when you were a kid. Yeah. Uh, I was, was drinking Rolling Rock when I was a kid. So, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it actually started as a non-alcoholic beer. But I did these commercials for Rolling Rock where I would improvise the commercials. And then um, Rolling Rock did this thing called the Rolling Rock Town Fair. Hmm. And uh, they had a bunch of, of musicians in Latrobe, PA, where they start. And so, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Tool, all these people. And they're like, we, you're our spokesman. We want you to host the concert. Hmm. And so it was a pay-per-view. And um, so it, it back in that day, it was pre kind of uh, this more sensitive era. Mm -hmm. But like essentially the pay-per-view camera would swing by and women would flash the camera. It was very <laughs> That's dignified. what people were paying for. <laughs> they were they were they were these were, you know, people in their twenties that were drunk at yeah. a concert. Anyway, so I'm hosting it. And you know, stand up and rock and roll go together great. And so but it was it was fine. And then um I introduced a band and I said, Hey, uh I don't know what I exactly said. I think I said something like, um, uh, you know, let's hear it for the uh the women that are flashing uh their parents watching at home must be so <laughs> proud. It was one of those things and um, so then I introduced Moby, oh. and Moby did like a five-minute speech on how uh, people shouldn't listen to me, <laughs> that I'm a misogynist. <laughs> and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was there at the time, and I got off stage, and I was like, and we were watching, and we were uh -huh. fans of, Moji, uh, of Moby yeah. and Emoji, yeah. <laughs> and we were fans of Moby, and this was when play was huge. Yeah, he was like the biggest artist. He was the biggest yeah. thing. And I was so shocked because I was like, did I, and I was, so I was, I was like, did, was I sexist? Was I encouraging it? And she was like, no, you were making fun of them for doing yeah, that. If anything, you were kind of discouraging it. But they're, <laughs> but they're just, you know, it's like, and so he went on to, to do like a 10 minute uh, speech, which I had heard later on that he did a lot of shows. And it was just so weird to be personally attacked. <laughs> And I think, and so then afterwards, I was like, I was like, you know, I wasn't telling women to do that. And he mm -hmm. goes, you know, you were what you were doing. <laughs> and I was like, so that's why I'm not a Moby fan. Yeah, that's why I'm on um, Star Wars Lady. I'm not good with names. Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. I call her Nat. Yeah. Yeah. Or the ports. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're on her. You're on. Team, I'm on you're her, on team ports. I'm on team ports. Yeah. I'm on Team Ports, <laughs> but that was my—that's my only celebrity run-in. That's Moby. all I have. That's, very, all right, we can wrap it up now. Very self-righteous, Moby yeah. behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, enough about Moby. Yeah. Let's talk about you. Okay. Uh, you have a new special. Yes. Quality time. Yes. It's on Amazon. Yeah. That's very exciting. It's Amazon. It's their first big stand-up special. Getting I'm like in, a getting pioneer. Getting into the game. I'm a pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. Was that no. part of the appeal to be kind of the first uh well, first big guy on Amazon? It was you know, comedians are uh 
there's nothing normal about the behavior of a comedian, mm-hmm. right? They go on stage and essentially attempt to seek approval of a room full of strangers. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, they're in control. They have the microphone and they have material, but you don't know if it's going to work. So uh, some of it is, I think, we seek kind of uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I was approached by Amazon... Uh, I was curious about it. I had kind of dabbled with the idea. I've done specials in different places. You yeah, know, you've kind of, of done them everywhere that you can do specials yeah. at this point. Yeah, and so I um, I viewed it as, uh, you know, I have five specials on Netflix, and I had this other special that I released through um, this uh, outlet called Comedy Dynamics where it was essentially on pay-per-view and yeah. everywhere. That was Noble Ape. That was yeah. the previous one, right? And so... Uh, there was a calculation. I mean, Amazon is the biggest thing in the world. So even if it was a disaster, it couldn't be that bad of a disaster. Yeah. Because yeah. I view specials, which is um, this will be my seventh. It's, you know, some of it is I want people to be able to watch it and um, and continue the conversation you have with the audience. And so... I hope that people will go to Amazon to watch it. I don't know what the support from Amazon's necessarily going to be. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when I did things with Comedy Central or Netflix, I knew what the marketing was yeah, going to be. Yeah, well, there was kind of exactly. a model for it. You knew yeah. what to expect, and this is this is pretty new. So, I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's coming out. I mean, we're talking it's coming out in a few weeks. I think when this airs, it'll already be out. So people yes. can watch it right yes. now, or maybe watch they, right maybe now. they already have. Go to Amazon uh, Prime right yeah. now. Um, but are, are you encouraged so far by the uh, by what you've seen in terms of their willingness to promote it's, it and get it out and let people know new. about it? It's all new. You, you have to understand, and you you know you've been talking with comedians, uh, and I think that there is. Everyone's an expert on comedy, right? Because we mm. all appreciate it yeah. on different levels. But how uh, it's going to be promoted or advertised, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, look, Amazon is a monolith. So I assume that if they give it half the amount of attention that I would hope they would, it would be a pretty impressive yeah. marketing. But I don't know. So I guess it's like, yeah, I mean, I've been encouraged. I mean, it is, I mean, I would look, I would love, you know, I brought up ideas. I'm like, can you put uh, on every Amazon box that comes out, can you put <laughs> the name of my special quality time? And they're like, no. <laughs> they're like, like but, but it's quality products. Yeah. And there's going to tie in there. They're like, we, they're like we're, we do that for our television shows. Yeah. So, um but I don't know. It's, but you know, the deal is constructed where they have it exclusively for a year, mm-hmm. and then uh, it reverts back to me. But I don't know. It's interesting with specials because uh, they, you know, the world of how specials or our specials are consumed changes every five years. Mm-hmm. So when I. No, when Beyond the Pale first aired on on Comedy Central in 2006, that coincided when every college dorm room had 
Comedy Central on because mm-hmm. of the success of Chappelle and the success of The Daily Show. Yeah. And just now, kids, college kids, there's no screen. They're on their own screens, mm-hmm. you know yeah. what I mean? Or other streaming things. And when I was in college in the 1800s, they had wooden <laughs> TVs. No, so there's, it's always changing. So I did a couple with Comedy Central. I did some, uh, I did one on my own mm-hmm. where I had talked to Amazon about it and they weren't really kind of ready to go on board. So I did it on my website, similar to mm-hmm. Louie. And then, um, and then I, I've done one exclusively with Netflix and then so but they've ended up with five of them so yeah. then uh, even with the la- with Noble Ape I was like I want to I want to make sure that it's not just for people that have Netflix because mm-hmm. not everyone does have Netflix yeah it seems that way sometimes but yeah it's, but it's not necessarily the case yeah yeah um, well, I really enjoy. I got to see the the special and oh. really enjoyed it. Um, it does feel like so the the last special Noble Ape, um, you were dealing with some heavy stuff in that special. Yeah. Your wife um, had a brain tumor, yes, um, and was recovering from that. And and you and you found ways to to make that part of your comedy. This one does feel like a little bit of a return to some sillier yeah. uh, material. Was that? Uh, a relief for you to kind of um, did you like doing that more uh, serious kind of uh, premises or or how do you feel about it? I think it's uh, you kind of write about what you're experiencing at Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. and so I mean life and death is pretty serious Yeah, and so um, everything compared to that is pretty light in my opinion Mm -hmm. Uh, you know even you know, appendix. You know, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, that used to kill people. Yeah, but you had your appendix out. That yeah, was, that's part of this. This one. Yeah. I know. It's like if you describe the topics of my <laughs> set, I'm, uh, I always get nervous because it sounds really boring. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, appendix. Yeah. Hey, oh, I can't wait to hear appendix material. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Horses. He's yeah. got ten minutes on horses. Yeah. People That'd like horse great. jokes. They're really gonna get excited <laughs> about this one. I don't even know why we have to specify that it's horseback riding. Other people are like, hey, you want to ride a horse? What part? <laughs> the, the part that looks like a seat, the back. <laughs> oh, good, because I've done horse ass riding. <laughs> that was painful. I kept falling off. <laughs> I should probably tell you, the rest of the show is all horse jokes. <laughs> is he serious? <laughs> Some of it is... As a you know, as a writer, you're you're you know, it's like what's presented to you, mm-hmm. and you make it as uh, you you kind of encounter the challenge that you deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I the one thing I would say from an editing standpoint is I do intentionally limit the amount of parenting stuff I would ever put in a special because I remember being that comedian who was starting off being 25. And seeing comedians talk about their husbands or their wives or their kids, mm-hmm. and thinking, I can't get a date. I don't know what this person's talking about. Yeah. So there's a there. You you make an effort to make it appeal to a, a wider swath of of people, or just you know, I would say that I I make an effort to not focus solely on, um, you know, like I could. I mean, I have five kids. I could talk about kids the entire time, <laughs> mm-hmm. but. I do recognize that there's many people in the audience that don't have kids mm-hmm. or are kids. Yeah, I mean, and your kids are not 
characters in your comedy the way a lot some other comics do. Yeah. I mean, is that also a deliberate thing so that you're not kind of exposing them to that or that they allowing them some privacy? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's 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 fascinating because we live in this age of exhibitionism and voyeurism, mm-hmm. right? And the comedy, when I started stand-up in the 90s, that's the 1890s, mm-hmm. when I started in the 90s, it wasn't necessary to be autobiographical. Like, if you look at Seinfeld in the 80s, mm-hmm. you never really learned anything about him. Yeah. And now, if you watch some comedians and they're not telling you a little bit, it seems almost odd in this day and age. Yeah. Because it's... We live in this reality show kind of, um, you know, uh, social media expose your beliefs kind of era. Mm-hmm. So you have to articulate, uh, you have to reveal something about yourself. So I would say that when it comes to my children, like I show pictures of my kids on social media, but I have friends that don't do that. Mm-hmm. And some of why I don't uh, why I don't refrain from showing them is because I'm too lazy. I mean, some <laughs> yeah. of it is I also I'm not showing them in the most private, intimate moments. Mm-hmm. But I think that when I wrote Dad is Fat, initially it was just a book about observations about being a dad, and then the editor was like, "You we you have to be more personal. You have to be much more personal," mm-hmm. and so. I I learned that opening up is is how you can develop some intimacy with people. And so it's through dad is fat uh, and also kind of, you know, that's a certain vulnerability. That's why we respond to comedians is that vulnerability. They're, mm-hmm. they're exposing themselves and their flaws and, mm-hmm. and their weaknesses and their insecurities. And I think... That's what we all identify with. Yeah. I'm interested in this idea, you know, you're saying that you want to appeal to the 25-year-old, you know, who knows nothing about being a parent and having a family and, and sort of appealing to as wide a, a population as possible. And that must be true also in terms of demographically touring around the country. And you want to, you know, you're a you're a very famous, successful comedian who can play all over the country. How much does that go into your mind? Are there, are there bits that you think of and you go, well... I don't know if that's going to play in in this part of the country, or I don't know if this is going to play, uh, whether it's political or um, just any or any anything. Well, there's it's it's very unique to each situation. What I would say on a, you also have to understand that there are people that are really good at certain things, mm-hmm. right? So there are great political comedians, and they should do that. And you know, as a comedian does stand up, they learn. Oh, you know, for some reason, when I talk about this, the audience responds differently than when my friend talks about this. Mm -hmm. So some of it, look, I'm a doughy white guy. So like, I think when I talk about, or I learned when I talk about politics, it makes people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, It's also one of those things where I also, I would say I'm very left leaning but I would also say I'm not I, – I have too much self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So I change opinions on political things, not huge issues, but I would say I change my opinion. 
not on like Trump, but yeah. you know, like I, <laughs> I would say that, you know, I also, I love having discussions with people about it, but I'm also kind of always learning. So mm -hmm. I don't want to grab, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, some soapbox on a certain issue mm -hmm. if I, you know, there might be nuances to it. And I would say if you laid out a lot of my things, I'm very moderate. I'm socially liberal. You know, economically, I don't even know. I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm sure <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I want, you know, I'd love for everyone to go to college, you know, and that the government pay for it. I'm for everyone having medical, uh, medical care. It's, but some of it is on the political front, I remember touring during 2016, and my opening, uh, my friend who opens for me is Ted Alexander, who's a great mm -hmm. comedian, yeah. who uh, was like, he's pretty left. Like, he was Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. And is that part of his act, or, or was it in Well, that, you know, he's also time, yeah. somebody who, he can talk about it, and he can also not talk mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and so he used to, during this presidential election year, he would do all these jokes on Trump and Hillary and Bernie and all this stuff. And it was so fascinating to witness the shift that occurred once the election happened. Mm. Once the election happened, Trump supporters were far more emboldened, mm -hmm. um, angry with the and I, you know, like I don't even have a Trump joke right now. But if I had a Trump joke, like in the in the past year, I would get emails. People would be like, "Do not even mention the word Trump. Like it is that powerful of a word." But even working around New York City, I find that um, when people talk about politics, there's a certain portion of the audience that looks at the ceiling. And that's not because they're conservative. Mm -hmm. It's not that they don't care. It's an overall fatigue. Yeah. It's like, look, we sit at home and we watch Rachel every night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're coming here. And they can to... watch Colbert if they want to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Going. It's like yeah. we're coming here to not hear about, not necessarily to not hear about it, but to, like, yeah, it's got to mm -hmm. be better than Seth Meyers and, mm -hmm. and Colbert. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I turned down the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Oh, really? The year Michelle did it. And it's like, you know. That would have been very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's weird. And Michelle Wolf, who was, uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's also, in some ways, what else could you do? Like, mm -hmm. I thought she did a great job. Mm -hmm. But, like, what else can you do? But we also live in this age where, I mean, I thought she was fine. Mm -hmm. I thought she was great. She was she funny. She did what she was supposed to do. Yeah. You know, and I have a personal theory that there was obviously some sexism, but I think it was also unfamiliarity. Mm -hmm. So, like, if Jeff Ross had been up there and done those same jokes, yeah, it you know, it wasn't just his gender. It's because he's known as the roast master, mm -hmm. and he was known. Yeah, people so didn't know what to expect. They didn't know Michelle, and so it was a status thing. Mm-hmm. And even when the journalists kind of, I was like, really? Yeah. It was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, like Maggie Haberman and some yeah. of those people were yeah piling on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, why did you turned it down because you didn't um think you could do those types of jokes or? What well, was I could the... do it. I mean, I guess I I viewed it as first of all, it's a it's a bad room. Yeah. Notoriously. Um, it's. Uh, 
you know, it's not in my wheelhouse to just be a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love all my comedian brethren and sisters or whatever, but some of them are flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. Some of them are uh, the, you know, Stephen Colbert, you know, two mm-hmm. feet from mm-hmm. W saying mm-hmm. that stuff. And some of us are, are you know, that's like, I, I mean, I guess I come from a small town in the Midwest where I'm like, you know, even I want to be more like subtle. You know what I mean? And so, but I viewed the White House Correspondence Center as it was a no, I knew he wasn't going to go. Mm-hmm. I knew that there was going to be an onslaught of criticism no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, typically I don't do things in my career that will supposedly make me more famous. So it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that did make Michelle famous. Oh, yeah. But that's that's not what I'm going for anyway. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? I want to be a better, I want to continue to be a better comedian and actor. That's what I care about. So like anything else that is, um, you know, that can kind of help your profile, I kind of repel from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I do want to ask a little bit about uh, your wife, Jeannie, who, yeah. um, first of all, I mean, how, how's she doing? It's been a couple of years now since she had uh, uh, surgery, right? She's doing well. She she wrote a book that is coming out in October. Oh, great. And um, it's it's been this amazing... It's so funny because at one point she said, you know, I've been through so many things. And, you know, she's the mother of five. We've, you know, lost a, a baby, you know, and stuff like that. And she said, the, and she had a brain tumor, and she said, you know, doing this book is the hardest one <laughs> because it is so taxing. Yeah, it's, and it's about this experience? It's about this experience, and it's about kind of her, um, you know, kind of reevaluating priorities. You can't go through something like that and without taking a look at how you do things. Mm-hmm. But I think human beings, we're idiots. So it's yeah. like we always have these moments where I held my do- newborn child and realized this is the priority. But then you're still going to be mad at the guy in, uh, on the highway for cutting mm-hmm. you off mm-hmm. three days later. Yeah. And so but it's, so the book kind of looks at that and it talks about the journey and, and how she uh, you know, really found a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. It's a good book. Yeah. It's a good book. So um, I'm interested in how you were able to find humor in it. Uh, I got to see the um, this documentary. Uh, it started as a joke. Um, that's about yeah. the Eugene Merman Comedy Festival, and in yeah. that, we see you trying out some material. I think early on yeah. about this. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to see how it how it progressed from there. Um, and so what 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 was that like? Do you remember sort of the first time you started talking about this oh, yeah. on stage and, and how you went about it? Well, this almost goes back to the uh, the exhibitionist and the voyeuristic thing. Mm-hmm. There was, because this, this stuff came down pretty quick. So Jeannie, uh, you know, had essentially some hearing loss and she was sent to an ENT. And then as kind of a precautionary thing, they did... Uh, an MRI, and uh, they discovered this huge mass in her brain the size of a pear, which is why her book is called When Life Gives You Pears. <laughs> and she, uh, so it was one of those things where I was supposed to go to Austin uh, 
and do shows and um and literally you know like your life shuts down mm-hmm. and one of the things i learned by doing material was that we all have had those two weeks in a hospital with someone we cherish that is either gonna die or does die mm-hmm. and there's such a uh a sobering kind of grounding that occurs that I think that we um, we can, human beings we can't live in that reality. You know, like we all have that that friend that's neurotic that's always fearful of dying. Mm-hmm. They're actually normal. <laughs> We're the weirdos that yeah. just kind of live in a certain pretend sense that of that's denial. not happening. Yeah, and so it was strange to. To be thrust into that thing because, again, my wife is my writing partner and we we'd done the Jim Gaffigan show together where she was the showrunner. And it was a very uh, kind of public our relationship. And then it was one of those things where this thing came down. And believe me, I'm very private. Uh, you know, I know that sounds ridiculous saying that you're <laughs> private when you're a comedian who goes on stage and talks about this stuff. But... Um, it felt very strange. It, it, you know, obviously we, I communicated to friends and family, all the stuff that was going on. But then when Jeannie got out of it, she wanted to communicate to people what about the experience that she was Mm -hmm. okay. Because of course, when you find out about a certain illness, the first thing you do is you Google about it. Yeah. And so you want to find people that lived, you Mm -hmm. know, that, Mm -hmm. that, that's, Mm -hmm you know, didn't kind of like perish as a result of this. So she wanted, that was her first instinct to get the the news out there. And so I was, I had some ideas and she had brought up some ideas and I was kind of, uh, you know, I didn't know how it was going to work. But I do, I did know that at my shows that were coming up, the people that had gone to buy tickets to a theater they probably knew that my wife had mm-hmm. been dealing with yeah. this. It and the, so it was in the news and it was yeah. I, yeah, I had to address it. And then some of it is I thought that like the best way to addressing that it was okay was you know, you don't joke around about something that is still gravely an issue. Mm. I mean, obviously sometimes you do. Yeah. But so that was one of the things. But it was a it was kind of a slow build, but it, uh, and it was it was it was kind of fun and dangerous. But it was it also became very apparent that maybe somebody didn't have a wife with a brain tumor, but they had a grandmother who died of Alzheimer's, you mm-hmm. know, or or something else. And so it was, uh, it was really amazing to see, uh, particularly in this, you know, we're right at the the divisive period, right of. Uh, that we live in right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. and to see how generous and kind everyone was, yeah. there was, uh, it was pretty powerful. Yeah. But of course, then you know, three weeks later, I'm yelling at a cab driver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you remember the first uh, thing that you were able to think was funny about it? Like, what was the the first uh, oh, premise or or? Well, you know, for me, there are things that um, will come up. And we'll just kind of, um, I don't know if the term is bump me. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. 
end, and I think it probably was the the description of the tumor as a pear, mm-hmm. and then just finding it very odd that like we would describe tumors, you know, because I think my mother died from an ovarian cancer that was the size of a grapefruit. Mm. So like I had this memory of tumors being fruit. Mm. And so it just felt weird that how humans kind of process things. So that was one of those things that just bumped me, but it wasn't, it doesn't turn into a joke right away. It's just kind of something that, that ruminates a little bit. And Mm -hmm. then eventually you kind of find some jokes behind it. It was crazy. You know, the, the surgeon told me the tumor was the size of a pear, which is scary, but also confusing. I was like, did he go to med school or a farmer's market? <laughs> but tumors are often compared to fruit. A pear, a lemon, a grapefruit. Interesting fact, worst tumor, grapefruit. Worst fruit, grapefruit. When you think about it, a grapefruit looks more like a tumor than a fruit. I almost feel sorry for grapefruit. Yeah, we can't win, yeah? We're already the worst fruit, now we're compared to the worst tumor? Well, at least we help old people poop. That is the worst impression of a grapefruit ever. unfortunate that there's another fruit that's much smaller named grape because you know there's situations in doctor's offices we found a tumor it's the size of a grape thank god i didn't finish (laughs) grapefruit oh that's that's very different (laughs) and then you're sitting in a hospital for three weeks and, the, you know, it's like the people that work there, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's the, it's the worst place. <laughs> yeah. Right? I don't like hospitals either. Right? I mean, but it's not as if people, you know, because people say that. They're like, yeah. I don't like hospitals. You're like, no one does. Yeah, nobody does. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's a reason why doctors are paid millions of dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel like uh, was there? You said you know it was a good response from your from audiences. Do you feel like there is a there was a disconnect for some people who maybe were coming to you know see the the hot pockets guy and then uh, were getting talked to about tumors? Was there any feeling of um, disconnect there? No, it's you know some of it is the uh, I've been touring in theaters. Uh, since 2006, right? Mm-hmm. And what you have to understand is that the relationship that I have with the audience is, it's like a, a friendship. And so the thing you love about your friends is that they challenge you. Mm. And so there's, you know, there's the conversation, which stand-up is, that you have with an audience like if I came back with only the same material, they would be very disappointed. Look, there might be like an eight-year-old boy in the room that just wants <laughs> to hear Hot Pockets. But there's a lot of people that understand my sensibility. They understand my point of view. They understand that I'm a guy who struggles with laziness mm-hmm. and you know just likes to eat. 
and it's building off of that and and challenging their preconceived notions because comedy is a lot of surprises it's and there is i mean i remember uh sometimes todd glass will open and he'll be like oh you do these things to kind of to purify the audience so like you'll you'll bring things up to challenge them and some of it you do that with your friends you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you want your friends to challenge you you want your friends to go you know what that's that story's not true Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean and um and that's where I think it's if you can make it interesting and entertaining. I'm not trying to present what I do as like brain surgery, but it has to be there has to be some surprises. Like the relationship has to continue to be interesting. Coming up, Jim reveals the origin of his inside voice, which allows him to critique his own stand-up performance while it's happening. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Last Lap is brought to you by Euphoric Hemp Oil-Infused Chewing Gum. The entire CBD industry is talking about this innovative, patented hemp oil-infused chewing gum. What makes Euphoric so special? Euphoric Hemp Oil-Infused Chewing Gum is not your average gum. In fact, it's an innovative, patented delivery system. What makes this gum so innovative, you ask? As a chewing gum, Euphoric brings innovation to the CBD market and then its patent delivery system is time-released and all the action happens in the mouth. The gum's flavor and consistency make it possible to chew it longer. Chewing the hemp oil-infused gum longer increases absorption into the mouth. Compared to edibles like gummies and and tinctures, even capsules, euphoric absorption rate is about 50% greater. This is because edibles have to pass through the digestive tract, which breaks down the ingredients and drastically reduces their absorption rate. Euphoric, however, keeps the hemp oil-infused gum in the mouth longer, completely bypassing the digestive system. Euphoric is gluten-free, it's sugar-free, non-GMO, and it tastes great with long-lasting flavor. You only need to try Euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. To prove it, a limited supply of free trials have just been released nationwide. Just visit this website, lovethisgum.com, to claim your free trial today while supplies last. Again, that website is lovethisgum.com. Lovethisgum.com. I feel like you've kind of described yourself as a comedy nerd of sorts in oh, the yeah. past. Um, growing up in Indiana, what were your uh, what were your earliest comedy uh, memories and references and, Gosh, and people I mean, that you loved? There wasn't much. I mean, there. Um, I mean, as a teenager, I remember watching 
uh, Letterman mm-hmm. and uh, and knowing he was from uh, knowing Indiana. he was from Indiana and he got out. Uh, <laughs> Indiana is at the time uh, was because uh, I think it's different now, but was a state with pretty low self esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, you know. Um, there, you know, people would rather be from Chicago. They'd rather be from Cincinnati. And now Indiana has like its own, you know. Uh, but so like there was something about Letterman doing it. But like for me, comedy-wise, I think the influence was mostly I'm the youngest of six kids, and I could kind of do an impression of my dad, mm-hmm. and that would, uh, you know, make my brothers and sisters. Uh, kind of view me as some source of entertainment but i remember watching like phyllis diller and you know jonathan winters and thinking they're amazing and obviously carol burnett um but you know and then seinfeld was a big influence Mm -hmm. you know but letterman i liked the fact that he was um he was kind of sarcastic but in almost a certain polite way it's weird because we've you know, depending on how much you know about Letterman, Letterman was one of those guys who could make fun of you or make fun of someone, and they would be in on the joke. Mm-hmm. It was a very strange balance. I mean, he got angry at times, yeah. but and he was definitely a grump like the last five years of his show. <laughs> but it was a strange sensibility that also... Um, you know, and I think Bill Murray was a big influence on me, like the kind of horsing around clownish guy who's it's a very accessible kind mm-hmm. of silliness. Yeah. Another Midwestern. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you ended up you you moved to New York um, yes. and you started out in, in advertising. Right. Yes. Um, I actually started out in advertising after college as well ah, before becoming a, a writer. Uh, so I know that world uh, well. Um, and. So what do you remember about the first time you you got on stage to to perform stand up because it was kind of uh the the story goes that it was it was on a dare or it was kind yeah. of from uh from wanting to gain some more confidence in the yeah. in the advertising no, I was very meetings. insecure about public speaking like I used to just blush like even if I was in school and the teacher called on me I would turn beet red and so in a business setting it was pretty bad <laughs> and so I did improv. I always had an interest in it. and But the first time I did it, the first time I went on stage, it was uh, it was something, it was like a revelation. It was something where I had these jokes. I had no problem. But it was this the stage fright that was, but it was so empowering. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was kind of an audience of bringers. They were very nice. Yeah. But it felt like it worked. And I had spent my early 20s not knowing what I was supposed to do. I studied finance in college because essentially, you know, my siblings studied like, you know, international terrorism and they couldn't get a job. You know what (laughs) I mean? So my dad was like, you can study finance or accounting. And so I hated it. Yeah. But I did it because that's what I was supposed to do. And so I finally found something that I was passionate about. And uh, it was amazing because I, I also had an expectation that, like, there was no touring. I mean, there was, mm-hmm. you know, like, Carlin was touring. That was it. Yeah. Um, and so 
there wasn't an expectation of making a living. It was just something about a, a level of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And then I always had this romantic notion of being an actor and a, a general performer. Mm-hmm. How early did the... Um you know what you call the the inside voice, which has become your yeah. your signature in a lot of ways, which is where you're commenting on yeah. what you're saying, sort of from the audience's perspective, or I don't I don't know how you would um, yeah. describe it. But how early did that come into it, or do you remember the kind of first times that you tried? Well, that? that's something I would do as a teenager. This guy's obsessed on food. <laughs> I am. I try to rationalize what I eat, but there's some food there's no reason to ever eat, like a cinnabon. I mean, tell me that place isn't run by Satan. You ever eat a Cinnabon? You have to take a nap halfway through. I think I need some insulin. And a wheelbarrow for my half a bun. It's kind of generous calling that a bun. It's the size of a beanbag chair. Should I sit in it or eat it? Hey, I could sit in it and eat it. Oh, this is sticky without pants on. He has his pants off and a lot of jokes. I would do as a teenager to kind of um, alleviate tension among friends. Mm -hmm. Like if I was late to come over to someone's house, I would come over and start talking for them. (laughs) And it communicates an awareness that you've done something wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you're articulating, you know, so they're kind of, you're you're articulating their complaints and uh, taking ownership of it. So it was something that I um, did as a teenager. But I also, I think, stand-up wise, I was a very. I mean, I'm probably a slower talker than I am right now in real life. Mm-hmm. And so when I would, um, when I started in the early '90s in New York City. I had to keep talking. So sometimes it was something that just kind of, um, it came out of this character. I used to do these characters at this place, Surf Reality on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters would just talk for the audience. And I inserted it in stand-up a little bit, but it would be hit or miss. So it would either work really well mm-hmm. or it would just be a tailspin. <laughs> and be like, what is and this guy so, doing? So when I did my first, you know, when I did this Comedy Central Presents half hour, I, the inside voice had worked pretty consistently, but I was so scared it wasn't going to work that I didn't do it in that mm. special. So, Do you regret that decision? Do you think you should have uh, done it then? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's... It's such a it's such a long journey. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so many other things that I regret. There's mm-hmm. times that I regret not just focusing on writing when, like, I think I would get so caught up in uh, frustration. Like, I think of, of, you know, like I started with Greg Giraldo and Bonnie McFarlane and all these people. And I was the last one to get a late night TV show appearance and it really ate at me Mm. and i look back now and i'm like it was just it didn't matter it didn't matter yeah yeah um your what what was your first late night was it on letterman it was letterman yeah Yeah. so that must have been pretty meaningful when you uh when you got that what do you remember about um maybe how you got it and then what it was like to actually uh do it oh it was well i actually ended up 
getting uh, Letterman and Conan the same night. Like there was one audition at Gotham and one audition at Boston Comedy Club. And um, I, you know, and I obviously always wanted to do Letterman, but I... And Conan was probably pretty new on the scene at that point. Well, still, Conan was yeah. the cool kid yeah. on the block. And so I, I wanted to do both of them. But, like, doing Letterman, being from Indiana, and, you know, his influence on my sensibility was so pronounced. And people would compare me. They're like, mm-hmm. you sound like David Letterman. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did it. I was, and I, And I think I was definitely ready sometimes. And... It was a blur because I walked out, I did it, it was over, then I walked backstage, my brother was there, and uh, they came up to me and they're like, the executive producer, Rob uh, Barnett, wants to talk to you. And I was like, uh, um, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> what did I do? And, th- and then I was like, but you know, it was probably something positive. Maybe he wants me to be a writer on the show. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's kind of what my initial yeah. goal was. And so then they were like, no, we want to develop this show. Uh, this, you know, they had just done Everybody Loves Raymond, mm-hmm. and this was going to be their next yeah, show. And wow. I was like, this is amazing. And of course, the show got canceled. <laughs> but, um, but it was, uh, it's, it's interesting because it's one of those things where if I had gotten Letterman earlier, I probably wouldn't have been polished as I was in that mm-hmm, moment. Mm-hmm. And because Letterman developed that show with me, I think there were tons of people that took me more seriously as an actor. Because mm-hmm. also the entertainment industry is like, it's very much like Missouri. It's like, you got to show me. It's the show me <laughs> state. It's like, you can tell someone you're good. But like in the end, no one wants to... And it's understandable. If you're a director or you're a producer, you don't want to take a gamble. There's too many moving parts to make a movie or a TV show work. So you want something that's going to work. You want someone who's going to show up and deliver and add value. And so I think that that show, which indirectly is because of Rob Burnett and, and David Letterman, is uh, which is directly because of them, is why I slowly got this film film and uh television acting career. Yeah, I mean, your yeah, your 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 film career is uh is definitely taking off this year. You have seven films uh yeah. coming out this year. It's amazing. That's if only pretty... that was like that that was the point. But that's <laughs> I would love to have like had those seven films dispersed yeah. over like the last seven years. <laughs> you didn't really years. want them all to come out in yeah. one year. <laughs> they didn't all have to happen the same year. But it is so fun because I because I do enjoy acting so much and playing these different characters, it is so like the thing I'm most excited about is that people will, f- directors and producers will see me in something and go, okay, that guy can act. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Because otherwise, y- you have no control over whether the movie works, it gets well reviewed. It's just all, you know. Mm-hmm. There's so many moving parts, yeah. and I'm just, you know, I've been kicking around for so long. I just want, 
the opportunity to work on good stuff. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, you know, being known for kind of sillier material maybe early on, some of these movies are super dark. Yes. Um, I got to see them that follow at uh, South by Southwest and yes. really enjoyed that. You oh, play uh, uh, opposite Olivia Coleman. Yes. You play husband and wife. That's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty cool. And she, she's, her career is going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she won yeah. an Oscar sometime in between uh, shooting that film, I think, and, and yeah. now. And then, uh, then she'll be in the the Crown. Yeah, coming up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one, and then uh, American Dreamer. Yes. Did you even see that more one? dark. Yeah, I just got to yeah. see that, and that kind of fucked me up a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I love that one. That one. I mean, I love them. That fo- the weird thing is, is like comedians were were so spoiled in a way because we go on stage. You're the writer, performer, director. You do it all. And I love acting. I love being uh, a participant and being a tool to tell a story or even communicate a moment of emotion. But you can't have control Mm -hmm. over everything. So in Them That Follow, uh, I mean, I loved, and there's such amazing actors on that. But like, there is something I'm like, ah, you know, like I wish you would have cut this <laughs> a little differently. And and that's and that's selfishly because again, I want directors and producers to see that and mm-hmm. go, that guy's a good actor. I'm gonna hire him because mm-hmm. no one wants to take risks. Yeah, yeah. Coming up, Jim weighs in on Aziz Ansari's stand-up comeback and what it could mean for Louis C.K.'s future. The Last Laugh is brought to you by Purple Mattress. Sleep is important. The quality of your sleep affects the quality of your daily life. That's something I definitely know. If I don't get a good night's sleep, I cannot do this podcast uh, with as many comedians as I've been doing over the last few weeks. How is Purple different from other mattresses? The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It is not at all like the memory foam you might be used to. The purple material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus it's breathable so it sleeps cool. Why should you try a purple mattress? They offer a 100 night risk-free trial, so if you're not fully satisfied you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10 year warranty, has free shipping and returns, and free in-home setup and old mattress removal. You're going to love Purple. And right now, my listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're already offering site-wide. Just text LAUGH to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text LAUGH to 84888. That's L-A-U-G-H to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. Going back to stand-up uh, comedy for a minute, are you a are are you a fan now of stand-up comedy? Do you like watching uh, other comedians' specials, or do you try to keep up on that stuff, or do you kind of try to stay in your own uh, you know, it's in your own world? Because there's, you know, some of it is. I would say that I love stand-up comedy. I don't watch general comedies. Mm. Like I'm sure The Good Place is great. I'm sure Parks and Recreation was great. Didn't watch any of them. You know what I mean? Mm. I'd rather watch a drama, but stand-up I will watch because I appreciate the craft. Mm -hmm. And even if it's someone where I don't like jibe with their point of view, I can appreciate the craft of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, that's a great story, but you know, 
But some of it's authenticity. Yeah. So, like, my whole thing is I get caught up in, like, is it true? So, like, you can – obviously, there's some lying that occurs. Mm. And in your new special, you admit that you uh, yeah. you lie from time well, to time. Well, that's also <laughs> kind of this ongoing thing. Like, And it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. It's like when people say, well, um, I never lie up there. I'm like, you're, you're lying. Mm-hmm. You're lying yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and so it kind of started out of that. Yeah. And by the way, there are comedians that that make a strong effort to make their stories as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. But there's still some artistic license. Yeah, there has to be. You know what I mean? To make it interesting and compelling. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but like if it's, if I watch something and it's a lot of lies, it's like, now my girlfriend's doing this. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. And by the way, I think that's a reflection of this voyeuristic exhibitionist mm-hmm. time that we live in. I think in the 90s, you could lie. Mm-hmm. But now there has to be a certain authenticity to behind it. It has to be grounded in some realism. Mm-hmm. Or like, so yeah, I could know a guy like that. Yeah. But, you know, and again, it's like you can do it here and there. But if it's all lies from wall to wall, mm-hmm. I think... That, then I just check out. Yeah. I was curious if you got to see uh, Aziz Ansari's uh, new Netflix special. I saw some of it. Yeah, I saw some of it. I mean, talk about uh, sort of serious confessional stuff. I mean, he's getting real. He got he got pretty real in that. And I always think about a conversation I had with one of my friends where he was like, you know what, man? That whole thing made me think about every date I've ever been on. And I thought, wow. Well, that's pretty incredible. This made not just me but other people be more thoughtful, then that's a good thing. And that's how I feel about it. And I know this isn't the most hilarious way to begin a comedy show, (laughs) but it's important to me that you know how I feel about that whole thing before we share this night together. Aziz, um, you know, it's so interesting because there's part of me that's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you know, like, and, as a comedian, all I want is another comedian to be able to do their thing. Mm-hmm. And I, um, but you know, it's like Marlo and I, I was giving yeah. Marlo so much yeah, shit. From Daily Beast, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, about how like the media is it at the time, the media was addicted to Louis stories. Mm-hmm. That's not taking, mm-hmm. and so funny, I got so yeah. much. So Marlo did the article, yeah. and, and I go, I'm going to get criticism because I'm not attacking him. Yeah. And he goes, why? You're making a point that, like, the media is talking. And I did get criticism. Yeah. Well, but so, like, the Aziz thing, it's, like, it's so complex because um, I have no other reason than to believe him. Mm-hmm. But it's also, there's something about the the confessional style that the the you know the sincerity it's weird it's like i'm also a believer and this is not a comment on his special but you know i am a i am like a a child of seinfeld mm-hmm. <laughs> he wouldn't want yeah. me describing it like that <laughs> but every sincere moment in a special is a time you could have been funny yeah like ever I'm not talking about like a sitcom where there's a laugh every three seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like when people do 
sincere things. And obviously Aziz had to address it, so I'm not criticizing mm-hmm. him. I'm talking about like generally overall when people do uh, things that I think are you know, emotionally manipulative rather than funny, mm-hmm. it, it's, it seems wrong to me. Like, yeah. I think it should be funny. And you can do both. Well, even on Seinfeld, it's very, the sitcom is famous for, you know, the no hugging, right. no, uh, you know, that there were no, there, were, there was never a sentimental moment in right. that show. And by the way, I think also we live in an age where, you know, going back to like vulnerability is what people like. But I think that there's, I'm trying to think of like, because I was talking to Seinfeld about this. It's like. There's moments, and I was describing a moment, and he goes, that was time that could have been funny. But you know why they didn't? Because being funny is harder than that. Mm. So being vulnerable, I think it's an important element of comedy. But comedy's still harder. Yeah. It has to to be a a funny payoff to the sentimental moment. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I think Aziz, there are definitely moments in that special that don't end on a joke. You know, where it's just pure, and it, yeah. and I think it is probably because he felt like he had to be and I sincere almost, with his audience. Yeah, I mean, he's lived with and, it. It's like, you know, and he's also toured with it, so maybe he has to do it like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So it's, uh, we live in this age where, you know, again, here I am, a straight white male. You know, it's like, this is where I shut up and listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the flip side of the Aziz thing is, and I haven't seen Louis perform, but from everything I've read and heard, that he has not been willing to kind of address it in a, even in any real way, whether it's serious or comedic or anything, that he's kind of made some throwaway jokes about his own situation, and maybe that's preventing him from having the same kind of comeback that, that Aziz had. It's It's such an interesting time, because it really... Um, it divides, there's, there's this divide in the comedy community. And by the way, what I love about comedians is that you can have a different opinion and there isn't the divorce that I believe is happening in our society. Mm -hmm. Like I have friends that are libertarian and I have friends that are, um, all these different kind of things. And because, like, if you can watch a comedian, if you can be friends with someone and not like their act, mm-hmm. you can be friends with them and not like their opinion on something. Mm-hmm. Like, you can argue with them and, you know, like, they can be a crazy right winger or a crazy left winger. And in the end, you have this kinship of comedy. And also, you, you know, comedians, I think we all know that comedians all know that we're crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there's a possibility some of us are going to be in the loony pen. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. That's yeah. what I, I love yeah. the difference opinion. Yeah. So and being it, a comedian trumps all the other differences that, you know, being I comedians, think so. yeah, that that's your community. Yeah, it's like, look, I don't work in props, but, you know, if Carrot Top needed my help, I'd love to help him. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because he's... He's a comedian. He's in the tribe, yeah. Yeah. And he's like he's eaten unknown amounts of shit for no reason at all. Yeah. For being successful, mm-hmm. for being popular. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's why I'm running for president. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so before we, as we start to wrap up, uh, what I like to do at the end of the show is is run through uh, some things that we didn't get to talk about, sure. and just if you can pull out one story or memory or, or something from it uh, that comes to mind when I mention it. Sure. Um, so uh, one of your early uh, jobs was working on the the Ellen Show with Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. Um, so what was what do you remember from that time? I remember Martin Mull being like the nicest man mm-hmm. in the world. It was a very interesting time period um, because um, Ellen, who we know as kind of, uh, and I mean this only as a compliment, the gay Thomas Jefferson for mm-hmm. the entertainment mm-hmm. industry, was going through this breakup with Anne Heche, mm-hmm. uh where the breakup was over and then she was doing this sitcom it's like you have to understand in the next studio was will and grace like we've changed so much like my 15 year old daughter is like had a gay had a multicolor uh gay flag birthday cake Mm -hmm. because she loves everything about Mm -hmm. gay community but will and grace was very dangerous and ellen was this exception Mm -hmm. uh and so i would say that it was a really interesting time period because she was under an enormous amount of stress, but I also I'll always remember that you know Carrie Kenny was great and um, Martin Mull, one of the sweetest guys. Mm. Um, another uh, early role was uh, Sex in the City. Oh yeah, um, you you're, you played a character who dates uh, Miranda, Cynthia yes. Nixon's character. Yes. So what what do you remember from that experience? I was like, this woman's gonna run for governor one day. <laughs> no, what I remember is that. I, in that episode, I went to the bathroom with the door open. I was known as the open door dumper. The next morning, Miranda got up early to pee in peace and make Doug coffee. Hey, smells great. It, it, it's the cinnamon I add to the... <clears throat> Apparently, when Miranda left the door open for peeing, she opened the door for everything else. You know, sometimes I like to add a pinch of nutmeg to my coffee that takes a lot of the... Maybe it was narrow-minded, but for Miranda, an open-door dump was definitely worth dumping someone over. And I had to audition. (laughs) And so I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to audition for this. And they're like, well, just... I mean, they wanted to see that I wasn't acting. You know what I mean? That I was kind Mm -hmm. of living real Mm -hmm. in the moment. Um, But that was... There was, for many years, that was the thing I was known for. The open door dumping, the meow guy from Super Troopers, and the manatee uh, joke that I had. And so uh, when the Hot Pocket joke took off, I was like, this, you know, the manatee joke was a thing. This Hot Pocket thing is going to go away. And it never went away. (laughs) Yeah. I know you like to tell that story about how you're uh, the CNN uh, uh, label of the Hot Pocket, Jim Hot Pocket Gaffigan. Yeah. (laughs) Brutal. <laughs> did that? Uh, did that make you hesitant to go back on uh, cable news after that? Well, no. It was it was so ironic because I think I was because I had released my special and a dollar from every five dollars had helped uh, wounded veterans. So I was there. It was like I think it was Memorial Day weekend. It was like all well intended. Mm-hmm. 
talking about how veterans should get more support and it was just someone someone uh, i think henry phillips tweeted me the photo and i was like you've got to be kidding me but there's something about comedians people just think we're clowns <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah that's all he wants to be known as the hot pocket guy <laughs> you're like all right um You've also uh, you've made a couple of appearances on Fox News over the years. I was curious oh, if you yes. had any stories about that. Well, that was really um, well. This is also it's so weird because now it's uh, you know I turned down many appearances there, but there believe it or not before um, before I would say uh, you know Bill O'Reilly. It's so funny because Bill O'Reilly. Um, lost his job mm-hmm. while um, my wife was essentially in pneumonia, mm-hmm. you know, and almost dying. And so when she kind of came out of it, I was like, she couldn't talk. Uh, I said, you know, Bill O'Reilly's gone. <laughs> like I was g- f- yeah. giving her, I mean, that wasn't yeah. the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> she, that wasn't like, hey, <laughs> you're her, back. Her eyes open. No, it, it was, it was like I'd gone through a bunch of kids stuff, and, yeah, and then yeah. we were talking about other stuff. And y- you have to understand, she couldn't talk, and my wife is a talker. I'm the quiet one. Yeah, and um, and she was very frustrated. She couldn't eat. She couldn't eat fruit, a r- regular food for a month and a half, maybe mm-hmm. longer. I don't know. I'm sure I got that wrong. Yeah, good thing that wasn't you. Yeah. Bad. Oh my god! But then she had to be married to the <laughs> biggest glutton in the world. <laughs> And so, anyway, so we'd gone through, and I was giving her an update on the kids, and I said, oh, by the way, Bill O'Reilly got fired. And she wrote on a piece of, you know, uh, like she was frustrated. She was, like, in pain. She's like, I don't give a fuck about Bill (laughs) O'Reilly. And so, and I was like, yeah, good point. But anyway, to answer your question, (laughs) what you have to understand is that um, dad is fact. Food a love story, mm-hmm. you know. These are your, the, your two books yeah. in the in the book world. There and it's shifting. Mm-hmm. It's always shifting. Mm-hmm. And my wife again has this book coming out in October. So what the you know it used to be Oprah, yeah. right? Oprah, what you get a yeah. you go on Oprah. I think you it's the View Oprah. now is the big one. You know what's weird is like I had heard that a for a while it was Wendy Williams, oh. and so it might be the View. Yeah. And so you do all these things, and then they're like, hey, um, you know, like I think it was Dad is Fat, Father's Day weekend. Um, it had been like 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. They're like, we think if you go on Bill O'Reilly, you're going to be number one. And I'm like, I'm not going to be, you know, like they're just yeah. publishers trying yeah. to get it. And I was like, and I I think I had seen other comedians. They they told me other authors that had done it. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And it was very strange because it was one of those things where um, I didn't want to get political. I mm-hmm. didn't want, you know, like, yeah. I didn't want to get, I just wanted to plug my book mm-hmm. and get out. Yeah. And so I did it. And I did it on like a satellite feed. And by the way, I had done a corporate event and he was there. You know, Bill O'Reilly is... Probably six four, six yeah, five. He's a big guy, yeah. He's a big guy. And this is before the the um him paying off women and yeah. twenty million dollars. 
But he was still like considered uh, like uh, you know generally loathsome, or, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but so I think so. I did that. I think I did Bill O'Reilly twice. Mm, yeah. And then you know my friend, by the way, who so Ted Alexandro opens for me now, and then before that. Um, my friend Tom Shalou opened for me, mm-hmm. who is now. Yeah, he then took over for Red Eye. He's a Fox Eye. News guy, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, but, like, you know, and I love Tom. Mm-hmm. I love him. Uh, and, again, like, I don't necessarily have to agree with him, but it shows you that, like, comedians, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it's also, you, you, I think you have to, like, understand that, you know, the view of Fox News might have been, uh, it was different in the pre-Trump yeah. era. Yeah. It yeah. was much more of, but you know, I had never, even back then, I'd been very selective. Mm-hmm. And um, what was the what was it like once you when you did it with him? With with, with Shalou? No, with uh, with Bill O'Reilly. What was it like when it was you were very on awkward. with him? It was yeah. very awkward. They did a pre-interview. They wanted to ask me political questions. I'm like, I don't want to ask that. And then Bill O'Reilly asked me completely different questions. Of course, yeah. He, it's it's interesting because there is, because Dad is Fat is a, essentially about how this comedian who never thought he'd be a father ended up being the father of five kids. Mm-hmm. And it's, some of it's constructed on the belief that I don't know what I'm doing. And so... That is, and he goes, so this book's all about how you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so it ended up where it was a very strange thing, and he's like, I don't know. I like what I'm doing. So it ended up working because it was, he kind of attacked me in a strange way. Mm-hmm. But that's, the, so I did that, and then I think I might have done Food A Love Story. But like there was another time I was on Bill O'Reilly, but I wasn't on the show, but someone had sent me the clip where he used to do like odd news stories. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, and one of them was Billboard released the top 100 touring acts in America. And this is when I first started touring, doing stand up. Mm-hmm. And so I just barely, I'd maybe done like, theaters in like 10 cities so i was like 99 um which i don't you know is still kind of impressive but like bill o'reilly is like and he's like at the bottom so like the top of the list was beyonce and you too and he goes and then at the bottom of the list i don't know some of these people they gotta really get their act together (laughs) and so it was like you know hootie and the blowfish or whatever and and me, and he, I hadn't been on his show, and he goes, this guy, Jim Gaffigan, I don't know what he does, but he's not doing well. So it's like, you have to understand, it's like, even describing it, it almost sounds almost enjoyable yeah, compared to the world we live in, <laughs> yeah. right? When he's just time, like, yeah. you know, I don't know, Gaffigan with his, I don't know what he's doing. Like, he, he thought yeah. it was probably a And then he was, he was going to cameo on your, on the Jim, the Jim Gaffigan show, yes. right? Yes. And yes. he and he canceled, or he he no, wasn't allowed think, to, or what was the story? I don't think anyone on Fox was allowed to. Yeah, because uh, in that episode, it which was all about us, you know, the tabloid nature of our culture uh, was, and he didn't do it. I don't think anyone at Fox could do it. 
Yeah. I think we got um I think we got Glenn back, like conservative, but like yeah. we got Rachel, we got like uh Nancy Grace, we got um Don Lemon. Yeah. But I don't think we could get any of the Fox News people because it was all about how um I don't know if you saw the episode. Yeah, yeah, it was all. Episode. I mean, I loved how it was yeah. just like it starts off one way and then it just spins and spins yeah. before you know it. I thought that episode, yeah, so the episode of the Jim Gaffigan show where you, or there's a picture of you holding a Bible and yes. then it becomes controversial. Yeah, and I thought it was so fascinating too because it was this like window into a con- you you haven't had a ton of controversy in your yeah. in your career, so this was kind of like what what your controversy would be. Well, it's also it was a little bit of a commentary on being Catholic mm. and how among, you know, like, I mean, I wasn't Catholic for 15 years mm-hmm. and then I met my wife and like, I lived across from a Catholic church and I never went in there. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so then she brainwashed me. No. Yeah. <laughs> so then I ended up going in there, but like among comedians, which have kind of a general kind of overriding dose of cynicism it's very peculiar. So it was kind of playing off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, the other, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, opening for the Pope in 2015, yes. which was a big, big moment uh, in your career. <laughs> I think you're the only, still the only comic to open for the Pope. Yeah. I um, mean, there might have been someone, I, I, someone sent me any, there might have been somebody in San Francisco that mm-hmm. opened for a Pope that visited in mm-hmm. San Francisco. But. Um, so now it's been a few years uh, since yeah. that. What do, When you look back on that, what, what stands out? I mean, it is, um, it is such a absurd... See, like, I don't view that whole experience as... The most difficult thing was not opening for the Pope. The most difficult thing was doing a show outside in Philadelphia... Which is just absurd. (laughs) And I love Philadelphia, and I've gone back numerous times. But it was, some of it is also, you know, we all have these moments where we talk to someone and we say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Like, why would, and you think back later on, and you're like, why would I say that? That's so stupid. So I know what Philly's like. I know that, like, they're, you know, and I'd known that they were sensitive about this Santa Claus thing. With uh, you know, supposedly at an Eagles game, they you know people threw snowballs at Santa Claus, and they were just done with it. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was backstage and I was thinking of jokes, and I was like, you know what, maybe I'll do this and that, and uh, and it just backfired. And so, it was this incredible experience, and it is. I think it's a no blame. I end the special talking about it, but. Um, you know the whole Pope thing. It's fascinating. I got my my mother in law to meet the Pope, so it's like, what more can you do? Right? It's like <laughs> slam dunk. Best fu- son in law ever. Um, so we end every show by asking uh, comedians what the last thing that made you laugh really hard is. I know you said you don't you don't love watching uh, traditional comedies. So what what does make you laugh? There's been some moments in Secession. That mm. made me laugh. Yeah. Anything that stands um, out that you can remember? The guy who is now married to Shiv. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tom. He yeah. is really funny. Yeah. That guy's hilarious. And like, I think at his bachelor, because it's also the combination of him talking 
to that guy who's like in his, like 21. Yeah, Greg, Tom and Greg. Are the, it's like yeah. those two conversing mm-hmm. is just, like I laughed out loud a couple times, mm-hmm. you know, just like him, like he, that guy is just so funny because he has this uncanny ability of like being vulnerable but also being bombastic and arrogant. <laughs> it's it's yeah. something that, and then he'll say something, and then his eyes will just communicate absolute defeat. <laughs> and so it's just so funny. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I love Brian Cox. I was in yeah. that championship season mm, yeah. with him on Broadway. So, mm. yeah, that that show's nominated for uh, Succession's nominated for Best Drama at the at the Emmys, which I think is is odd because it's one of the funniest shows it's on a TV. really interesting <laughs> but it's an hour so i guess that makes it a, a drama it's 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 like so dark yeah some of like just like <laughs> there's the there's the stuff that stays with you where you're like oh no <laughs> oh no like when like when he had the chap moment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he yeah, goes that, back that does get dark and then everything's fine and then the dad's like you're gonna do this and he's just like yeah okay <laughs> it's know. just it's the biggest sad. setup and punchline yeah. it's the whole episode yeah Ugh. and you're like that is hysterical it's <laughs> so dark because the one thing that could happen to make the sun kind of back down mm-hmm. and he's like there's <laughs> nothing to think about <laughs> all right jim well thank you so much for for doing this it was Appreciate great to talk thank to you, you. Thanks again to Jim Gaffigan for being so generous with his time while he was out in L.A. Quality Time is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Them That Follow is playing in theaters now, and Jim's new film, American Dreamer, will be released this fall. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and edited by Mackenzie Mazell. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.